On this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, I catch you up on all that's transpired with the Pacers over the last two weeks since Las Vegas. The Pacers are still coming down from that high with the in-season tournament and just 2-5 and five in games since, but they're finally getting healthy again. I know that Fieldhouse Files has a prolific following. You know, I just want to be careful about sharing too much with the world. And welcome into the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. Hello, Pacer fans. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Back at home, back in studio, and back with my quality studio setup. So I do sound better and healthier than I did in Las Vegas, but what a fun week that was for myself as well as the team out in Las Vegas for the first ever in-season tournament. I'll get into that in just a second, but I hope this is hitting your feet at the right time, a great time, as many of you are probably hitting the road for the holidays, or perhaps it's a quieter time at work and you're able to kind of have this on in the background. Two times speed is what I do, so I highly recommend that for this and all other podcasts if you can tolerate it. It's a good way to maximize your times. But in the sports world, let me tell you, there's not much of a let up right now. Like I have friends, it's hilarious, that are talking about, all right, laptops shut through the first of the year. I'm like, wait, what? No, we got games last night, tonight, coming up on Saturday. Very different world as Thursday night as I'm recording this. The Pacers um, went into Memphis and lost to the Grizzlies 116-103. They desperately need a couple days between games to recharge and get going again, but they're not really going to get it until Saturday. They will have two days between games kind of over Christmas, but then they really get right back to it. All right, so where are the Pacers at right now? To tell you the truth, they're exactly kind of where I expected, right around 500, 14-13. Now, for them, preferably, yeah, you have a little bit more wins to their name because it's been a more favorable stretch at home at the front end of their schedule, and now they're really paying for it, those uh, extra days between games and that home stretch because now it's just been a brutal stretch coming off that in-season Tournament. You could maybe call it a tournament hangover, but I don't think that's it as much as just a brutal schedule. After losing to the Lakers, they slept overnight in Las Vegas, then went directly to Detroit where they played the Pistons. And yeah, that was a perfect game at least to come uh, back from the tournament for because the Pistons are awful. 25 straight losses. Feel bad for Monty Williams and the Pistons up there in Detroit. But that was... Uh, one of those games for the Pacers that you had to win and they took care of it. The trouble is then they on that road trip they had a visit to Washington and you could just see it in their faces. Whether they When they arrived at the arena in the photos, those guys are gassed. They're on fumes. And then it continued. Yeah, you got a back-to-back in Minneapolis against the top team in the Western Conference record-wise. It doesn't get much more difficult than that. And it's not just the Pacers who are struggling. Like I referenced in the open where... The Pacers are just 2-5 and five since the tournament final back on December 9th in Las Vegas. The Lakers have equally had their challenges since they won the tournament championship. They've lost 4-5, of five, and the thing that uh, is similar in all this is they've both played road-heavy stretches. And so that's something the NBA, I think, has to consider making sure in future 
tournaments that maybe no team really has a, a road trip or many games jammed back-to-back, etc. right after the tournament, fully acknowledging that maybe they make it to the tournament championship because then it basically extends the road trip. Pacers didn't expect to be on the road for what was 12 days, uh, but it turned out that way because they did have that success, and the players, yes, did split or, or each get rather $200,000 bonus because of it. The two-way guys got half a share, so 100000 And I know some fans will ask because I thought about it as well. Daniel Tice, by the way, does not get a share of it despite being on the team. I wondered, though, because, right, if the Pacers say win the NBA title, surely he would get an NBA ring. But, no, he is not part of the winning prize money for the in-season tournament. But what a week it was out in Las Vegas. It was great to be out there and be able to cover it, see so many people from around the NBA, from reporters, from league PR people to uh, broadcasters as well. And that was one big special thing about this for this Indiana Pacers team is, remember, they were scheduled coming into this season to only have one game on national TV, just one. That's in January, and it's on the road in Boston. Well, they had much more than that, ultimately playing their final three games of the tournament in front of a national audience on TNT, on ESPN, and then on the big powerhouse that is ABC. So there's no excuse for Pacer fans that haven't been able to watch the team. They were able to watch the team several times during the in-season tournament and saw several good performances in those. So the team got good exposure, but especially Halliburton as well. I can't tell you how many national interviews he did and how full his uh, post-game interview room was when they beat the Bucks. and he looked down at his watch like I covered in the last podcast and said, hey, it's tie time, I guess. Kind of not mocking, but uh, copying, let's say, uh, the Dame time thing. So uh, that was a, a special experience, an important one, I think, for this young, inexperienced Pacer team. You contrast the differences between the Pacers and Lakers. Lakers have, what, 17 championships? Pacers have zero NBA championships. LeBron has all the experience in the world in the NBA uh, playoffs and certainly in the finals. Most of the Pacers do not really. Uh, Bruce Brown obviously went to the finals and won last season with Denver. Obi Toppin with the Knicks. But how about the other starters and key ingredients? Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald have never experienced a playoff game. And then you go on down the line. Same is obviously true for Pacer draft picks like Benedict Matherin, like Andrew Nemhart. So that's where that is valuable. In addition to the extra prize money, the exposure, these were big game performances in big environments. And I will say the first game didn't quite have the the mega environment you would hope for and expect. Certainly not like you fans provided at Gamebridge Fieldhouse for the uh, quarterfinal matchup, the win over the Boston Celtics. What a night that was. I think on a Monday night, that was a lot of fun. But because that game, the semifinal game tipped off at like 2 p.m. local time, 5 p.m. Eastern. It's just weird, bizarre. That's something maybe they'll want to consider changing in the future. However, that was done so they could have two gates, meaning you could sell tickets to the first game, have an extended break, get fans out, then welcome new fans in for the second gate, which means you essentially double your money, ideally, for your gate attendance while out there. So a good experience once again for the Pacers and Coming up on Christmas Day, it's been like 20 years since the Pacers have played on Christmas Day. If they get to the 
playoffs, if they start becoming relevant again, then maybe they'll be considered. But to this point, they have not have not been relevant in those conversations really since 2014 when Paul George and company helped the team reach the NBA Eastern Conference Finals in back-to-back years. Among the people I was able to see and catch up with was Lance Stevenson, the former Pacers favorite, probably still Pacers fan favorite, to be sure. He splits time between Indianapolis and his Zionsville home, along with Vegas, where his parents still live. And so you can read that conversation on FieldhouseFiles.com. And what stood out to me about our conversation, more than the fact that he shared that he's starring in a movie that's completed, that's currently in post-production, is that he also is still playing, practicing, and gearing up to play. And then two days later, without any expectation at all or any heads up, His rights get acquired by the Iowa Wolves, the G League affiliate of Minnesota. And now he's back playing again for Iowa. Nearly had a triple-double in his last game. So it's good to see him doing what he loves once more. I wasn't sure if he'd get picked up at all, and neither was he. And then there you go. Two days later, after the tournament finals where he sat courtside with other uh, former NBA types that had been in the league. So that was really cool. On a somber, sad note, In the last week, uh, we lost one of the greats to come out of this state playing basketball. Of course, George McGinnis, one of the numbers and names, jerseys, retired and hung in the rafters at Gainbridge Fieldhouse, passed away one week ago at age 73. And the team plans to hold a celebration of his life next month. Kind of once you get through the holidays, then they will hold one at Gainbridge Fieldhouse, much like uh, those before him, like a, a Slick Leonard, for example, Mel Daniels as well. Uh, and both IU and the Pacers held a moment of silence at the game immediately following his death. Uh, a moment of silence to kind of remember, celebrate, and honor the life he lived. An Indiana guy uh, at it most dominant one season down in Bloomington and then turned pro and what a career he had with the Pacers and such. Those, I can tell you, uh, a passing like this in history long before me, those are the times especially when I miss Slick Leonard. I miss him being one phone call away, and I know that only needing 10 minutes with him will turn into a 30-minute conversation and, and learn all about someone's past and their history and why they were so good and, and huge for the team or the league, etc. I was disappointed that I couldn't pick up the phone and call Slick to hear about George McGinnis and some good stories that he would have to share. All right, so what else? Oh, a lot else has transpired in the last week. Let's go to Milwaukee, where you have Game Ball Gate, essentially, in all this. What a, what a joke that was at the end of the game. You could see a member of team security for the Bucks literally grabbed the ball and hand it off to a member of the Bucks. I think it was a member of the training staff. I do not know that for certain. Clearly a Bucks staff member. Then, being the executive protection that he is for Giannis, as Giannis tr- started mouthing off to the Pacers about the ball, you could see the security guard go, hey, we got it, we got it, we got it. He didn't listen. He goes sprinting off towards the Pacers tunnel, and what a, I don't know, debacle embarrassment that was Chad Buchanan got elbowed in the ribs he said he's doing okay nothing serious um inadvertent elbow is how he phrased it and uh that's just unnecessary and that's why you do have team security and fortunately nothing went further because you're talking about a basketball here I picture a guy like Giannis and by the way he had a fabulous game unstoppable 
franchise record in points. Of course he wants the game ball and should get it. But I, I was sitting back thinking, like, how many awards and medals and honors does he have? Like, is this his 30th game ball? Like, maybe he gets it painted up and it's nice. But compared to maybe another player, it's not nearly as big a deal. Um, what was notable about it for the Pacers, it was Oscar Shibwe's first official point. Now, officially, yes. Technically, maybe no, because he did score in the in-season tournament championship game. But remember, that championship game technically does not count because the stats towards the record and being game 83 – it did not happen. So, therefore, that point in Milwaukee did count. You're probably exhausted with it as much as I am, but I will tease my story because I was pretty proud of it, the fact that I remembered how three years ago or so the NBA started literally numbering basketballs. So, if Giannis has any question about it, he can go to the stats crew, his stats crew, by the way, at home at Pfizer Forum and say, hey, what was the number? And then match it with his ball. If it's the same number... Then he has the right basketball. It is as simple as that, Giannis. Just give me a call or read Fieldhouse Files, and now you know here. Um, but I encourage you to check that one out. Uh, that was not something that was done kind of be until the pan after until after the pandemic. Before that, I remember the Pacers stats group. You know, one lady uh, for Fever games would always put a couple X's on the side of the balls. Uh, the Pacers guy circles Randy Fishman circles kind of the air valve. Uh, the black air valve, to mark that it has been an official NBA game ball. So if there's any question, and there was recently at a game, Randy was telling me how a ball got into the stands and someone throw back, threw back, I guess, another ball. It was not it. And so they had to double check it, and there you go. Andrew Nimhard returning from injury. He's been out for a couple weeks after suffering an injury in that semifinals game against the Bucks in Las Vegas. Fortunately, it was not bad, just a hyperextension of his knee. Live, it looked much worse, an ACL, meniscus, uh, something that would require surgery as he hobbled off, needed help, but said he finished walking by himself in the tunnel where we couldn't see him and then going back to the locker room. He, too, I caught up with one-on-one -on -one recently, so you can read that conversation as well at Fieldhouse Files. But he's just had a, a rash of bad luck this season. It feels like every time he gets back, Something else happens. You remember during training camp, he had to have a kidney stone removed, not just flushed, but I guess removed. So that's a minor surgery. And as we all know, there's no such thing as minor surgery. So that kind of messed with his game shape and, and training camp, not being able to participate and such. Fortunately, basically the same roster, a lot of continuity. But he was he is being asked to do Different stuff, be more on the ball, the backup point guard versus starting versus playing next to Tyrese. He's more in charge of running the second unit. At least he will be once he returns here to his regular minutes. He did play for the first time in a couple weeks in Memphis, kept to 16 minutes. It's probably about right. Uh, defended John Morant and others, got some time on him, uh, which was good, but they've badly needed him because he's one of their best defenders and in a season where this team is terrible defensively. Uh, they need all the help they can get. And Neesmith's done as good a job as he could do. Uh, there's been other players have special moments, whether it's Miles and his blocking, Isaiah uh, inside the paint, TJ McConnell with his energy and feistiness, uh, certainly. And Bruce Brown has had some moments, moments as well. But this is just a personnel grouping. The way this roster is constructed, it's just not a defensive group. So Nimhard being back is important in a number of ways, but probably nowhere 
as important as on the defensive end as they go against high-scoring guards and wings. and Especially out on the wing, that's really uh, where they are lacking. Uh, in the last week, the Pacers have also brought back a familiar name. You remember about a month ago, Daniel Tice was uh, agreeing. He agreed to a contract buyout with the Pacers. He got tired of sitting the bench and wanted to either be played, and if not played, trade me. And if you, if there's not a trade out there, all right, let let's do a contract buyout. So he Pacers get back a little bit uh, of his contract, some money there. And in exchange, he became a free agent. He cleared waivers and then picked his destination, and it was a sure thing, a clear thing, that he went and signed with the Clippers. Done a nice job, and now is getting exactly what he wanted. He's in the rotation, playing about 20 minutes per game on a winning team. And really, that Clippers team, they were just here in Indianapolis this week. They look good. They've settled in nicely over the last three or four weeks or so, uh, acquiring James Harden first, then adding Daniel Tice after uh, an injury in the front court. Now they've put it all together. Now, of course, we gave them all the attention and the hype here in sports media over the last week, and then uh, just tonight, for the first time this season, Kawhi Leonard does not play. Before then, we had seen Kawhi and Paul George play in every game, uh, or not have any of those uh, scheduled rests, let's say. I think Paul missed some games. Uh, but they had played in back-to-backs and, and shown up well. That's all we're asking. We want to see all the stars every single night so that the teams can put their best roster forward when wherever they're playing, whether it's at home or on the road, etc. So uh, good to see the Clippers in town this week as well. Jalen Smith returned on Wednesday from his injuries after being out for I think it was 10 games all the way back since November 27th against the Portland Trailblazers. His wasn't just two injuries. It was a knee and his foot, and the biggest thing was his foot. Out in Las Vegas, that w- that became as clear as night. Uh, I guess clear as day is the same. <laughs> um, because he was working out with assistant coach Jim Boylan several hours before each game, and you could see he was confident and comfortable in most things. What he wasn't comfortable with is the sharp cuts it was it was moving side to side when you had to roll the ankle from one side the start and stop wasn't as big a deal but um, cutting and you know moving side to side was difficult and that was um, being done I saw pregame over with some observation from assistant athletic trainer Patrick Gilbert looking on and advising as well so it took Jalen Smith another couple weeks and now he is back not playing a, a full minutes workload um, did not play on Thursday in the back-to-back, and that's probably a wise move not to rush him uh, back there. Then he'll get a couple days between games. Um, and I do want to highlight, in his absence, I think Isaiah Jackson has done very well. Um, he's taken advantage of his minutes and shown more, uh, and he's a guy that's really just needed the opportunity. Several double-doubles, done well rebounding. Now, uh, didn't do too much on Thursday in the loss at Memphis, but no one really with the Pacers did. It was a difficult game, especially on the interior, uh, where they were held to a season-low 32 paint points, but that corresponds as well with the team being held to an old-school score, 116-103. The 103 narrowly now becoming the season-low for the Pacers, uh, who were held to 104 against Boston in that epic loss, their worst loss of the season earlier this year. 
But so Smith is back, Nimhart is back. That's quality. A Tyree Halliburton's going through it right now. I think we all see that. He was seven for nineteen, just two for twelve shooting the ball Thursday in Memphis, and hadn't shot it well. I think roughly thirty percent since the in-season tournament. He's acknowledges as such. He doesn't quite have that rhythm, that flow. He's not seeing the shots go down. I'm sure he'll work with his uh, skills trainer, at least in text or film, uh, talking about Drew Hanlon to try to get that right. But more than anything, I see that as just he's kind of gassed mentally and physically running on fumes um, from what their schedule has been over the last three weeks. Now, they are getting some rest here coming up, a little bit, uh, meaning less travel. Uh, so that should help a little bit. But now with that said, you want to see an uptick on on uh, his shooting performances. But more than anything, it's the turnovers that I think he, he's got to be circling in red and being uh, disappointed with himself. That's four straight games now that he's committed four turnovers. And I think it's in this uh, over these last three weeks since the tournament, a couple weeks, he's averaging four turnovers per game. So that's a real issue because remember how we how much we highlighted earlier in the season uh just even as recent as two weeks ago at the in-season tournament where he had something like you know 32 assists zero turnovers in 80 minutes well he's basically turning over four times a game here over the last week that's got to be improved upon now I say that acknowledging that he's being guarded tighter he's guarded picked up full court uh, he's seeing several defenders. Teams realize if they eliminate him, they eliminate really the Pacers, and that's why the Pacers are just one game above 500, uh, partly so. Um, and so he's going to have to adapt. His teammates are going to have to adapt. But the turnovers, those have those he has to improve upon, no question about that. And then the one player I also wanted to highlight that I really liked his play all season long, Aaron Neesmith, 28 minutes against the Grizzlies, just a fighter. You can highlight his 14 points or his five assists or his couple drawn charges or four steals, but it's just his all-around hustle, his all-around play that stands out, willing to be the dirt, do the dirty work, willing to be that versatile player that the Pacers need. And He signed a contract extension before the season, good value there at about 11, per, 11 million per for the Pacers. And uh, I, I think on a, a really good team, he could be your seventh man and – a very dependable, reliable, hustle-type player. Um, and you got to highlight his shot, too, by the way. Four for eight, 50% from three. In this game, he's shooting nearly 50% from three this season. That's a big uptick in what he's done previously. He's worked hard on that. He He's kind of been pigeonholed for being a hustle and defensive guy, but he's, uh, he's improved his offense and being relied on and looked to more, I would say, offensively here in the the last month or so uh, for the Pacers. That Memphis game was an intense one. It did not have the feel at all of a December regular season game. Of course, it didn't and wasn't because it was John ja Morant's debut at home this season, his return from a 25-game suspension for uh, repeat offender of stuff. He you know, had a gun in his hand and Instagram Live, all that stuff. He returned earlier this week for game one, but that was in New Orleans and had a buzzer beater in his home return. Bad luck for the Pacers that they just saw him here, and it was uh, not just he was playing uh, because his Memphis team was not good before him, 6-19. and 19. Now they've won two straight. But he returns, and they, they look like an entirely different team. 
Uh, Pacers were also on a second night of a back-to-back, but energy level not bad, all things considered. But shooting the ball was just awful. About 20 percentage points different from the previous game. They shot 42% in this loss, 35% from range, only got to the free throw line 11 times, attempted 10 fewer than the Grizzlies, turned it over 17 times. So they were in it, yet they weren't, if that makes sense. Like, you could sense the Grizzlies would make a run and then hold them off for good. And ultimately, that's what we saw. And uh, the Grizzlies, man, did they crowd the paint and make things as difficult as any team the Pacers have faced this season. I think that was the overwhelming takeaway. The length, the size, the athletic ability, some many of those traits the Pacers lack. Um, and they're going to get a, a handful of them coming up on Saturday against the Orlando Magic, who are built completely opposite of the Pacers. They have wings, they have length, they have size. They don't have guards. The Pacers have guards and centers uh, and do not have wings, so I always enjoy that contrast. But really impressive job by the Grizzlies, Jaron Jackson Jr., Vince Williams Jr., Bismack, Bibiambo even, for what they were able to do on the interior and just make the Pacers uncomfortable and make everything difficult to the point where they kind of went away from it and started settling and shot a franchise-high 52 three-point attempts but only made 18 of them. Over the last week, really, in the last few days, I did want to highlight what the Pacers have done in the community. Uh, Just last month, Rick announced his initiative that he's starting next month in in mid-January. I think it's January 15th, helping with food insecurity in central Indiana. He made a six-figure commitment, I think, they're well over $550,000 uh, as a group, uh, talking about Carlisle and others, including the Simon family, Ursay family, and the Colts and others, uh, to try to address that. So good for him. That was a cool initiative that I was able to cover. And then a couple days ago, over at the Horizon uh, House, uh, right just right by Gamebridge Fieldhouse, I mean, you could walk there. Uh, probably less than a mile away. And that's where Pacers top assistant Lloyd Pierce was on Tuesday for a coat drive, something he has not done before, but he's wanted to get involved more with the Indianapolis community. So he worked with Corey Wilson of the Pacers, who's like vice president of community engagement. And this is a good start. It's not the only thing, and it's not just something, uh, but it's certainly the start and something he's proud of to kind of get started here. Um, and collecting coats, the big thing that was key for him and his wife was to do something of need. And, of course, we all need coats. And it was telling because that day was cold. We all needed our coats while being outside, and they were collecting coats from members of the community to give to uh, neighbors who need it, the homeless in downtown Indianapolis, to to help them in the these cold winter Months, So that was a special opportunity, um, and this was a big community event day, in fact, for the Pacers. It was scheduled to be an off day, but because of how poor they played the previous night, uh, the Pacers ultimately held a practice after that terrible loss to the L.A. Clippers. And so then after that, LP did his thing. Tyrese Halliburton kind of did his shop uh, with 30 kids where he took them to an academy sporting outlet gave them all shoes and a gift card to just buy some things and it's not nearly as good as kind of that old shop with the Pacers event which remains among my favorites right up there with the Thanksgiving dinner 
that now Tyrese is kind of the host of. But uh, that was really cool event. I'm sure I wasn't able to make it. I was at LP's event. Uh, and then also while this was going on, Obi Toppin made an appearance as well for a holiday event. So good for the Pacers for getting out, making their presence felt known. And uh, they're, they're leaders and recognized in the community. Those are little things that I do want to highlight um, for what they're doing off the court and assisting the Indianapolis community. Last thing here is I want to mention in terms of the Pacers is how they're in the middle of a favorable stretch, so they have to take advantage of this starting up on Saturday against Orlando. Not a good opponent for them because, as I said, how much different they play. That's kind of like Memphis. Memphis wants to slow you down. Memphis wants to keep you out of the paint uh, and all of that. The Pacers want to do the opposite. Well, uh, you have this Orlando game on Saturday, then at Houston, then at Chicago, home against New York. I mean, if you could pick up three of those wins, you'd feel really good about the way you are feeling. Because after that, it's a gauntlet of high-profile opponents. The home-and-home with Milwaukee, and those might be as close to must-see TV uh, for the Pacers as you can in January. A a game in Atlanta, and they always play them well, followed by a couple games at home against Boston and then Washington. And then they are on the road for six in a row from January 12th through the 21st, uh, a road trip out west. So that will be very difficult for this Pacers team. And why this next stretch of four games is so important before New Year's Day. Um, And then also, I wanted to mention how Pacers owner Herb Simon on Thursday was announced as a first-time nominee for the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. He's in the contributor category and... Herb's the longest-tenured NBA owner uh, of note. Donnie Walsh, also an eligible candidate, has been for several years, but not has has not been voted in there. To wrap up, I want to talk a little bit about the Mad Ants and what the Pacers' first-round picks are doing. And This team has been fun to watch and cover. If you haven't followed them or haven't watched, I highly suggest that you make it out to Gainbridge Fieldhouse. Here's a little tip I can provide you. The Mad Ants aren't being marketed. They're not spending money to market the team. However, home games, which are all played at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, you can come, sit in general admission, meaning you can sit anywhere behind the Mad Ants bench, behind the visitors bench. Not many people there. You can buy a cheap ticket, have access to Gamebridge Fieldhouse, and attend the games. But they are marketing one, a couple games. The first one being coming up uh, on who is it, against the squadron on December 29th. It's a Friday tip-off at 6 p.m. at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. The doors open at 5.30, uh, and this will be a good one to bring kids if you like as well. They're making it kind of a dinosaur night, so the uh, north end, kind of think by the Pacers bench, that north end uh, will not be seats, will instead be pulled out, and there will be all picture-like blow-ups and things for fans to experience, especially kids, either before or even during probably the game as the Pacers G League affiliate plays the Birmingham Squadron. Um, and their advertising is a fully immersive event featuring dinosaurs coming to life. But more than that, I want to talk about the basketball side of all that because that's what's really stood out to me about the job that Tom Hankins, the head coach, has done uh, with this group. Number one, it's a talented roster, a good mix of veterans, young players. Uh, this team's won 14 in a row. They're 15-1. and one. And down at the G League Showcase, which this year is in Orlando. Last year was in Las Vegas. I attended it. I'm kind of 
mad at myself, pissed at myself for not going this year, but the reality is I just want to be at home. This is my favorite time of year, just before Christmas and around Christmas time, and I just spent a week in Las Vegas for the in-season tournament. But the Mad Ants just keep winning. They handled Capital City Go-Go a couple days ago, and on Thursday afternoon defeated College Park, who uh, came back and made a big run there at the end of the fourth quarter. It was a bad finish for the Mad Ants. Fortunately, they got to an extra session and then survived it. Kendall Brown, a two-way wing, finishing it off with the game-winning basket with an Elam ending there used in overtime for the two-point win. But that means they're moving on to one more game at the Showcase. That's on Friday night, uh, and that'll be against the Westchester Knicks, which is pretty cool and that's because one hundred thousand dollars on the line for the team not individual players like it is for the tournament hundred thousand dollars prize for the team on the line friday night there's some connections dylan windler perry meridian indiana guy also jacob toppin is on the westchester knicks obviously obi toppin's brother uh, from a coaching standpoint two former madden assistant coaches are on staff with the Knicks, Devin Blair and Steve Minkness. So it'll cool and they're cool to see them. And more than anything, they'll have great familiarity with Tom Hankins and what the Mad Ants are trying to do from a basketball standpoint. But um, as I first reported earlier in the week, the Pacers chose, Rick chose to send first round picks, Jarris Walker and Ben Shepard down with the Mad Ants to Orlando along with the two ways, but that was a given. Um, and unfortunately, the travel caught up with Ben. He got strep throat, did not play in their first game, the quarterfinal matchup win over the Capital City Go-Go. He did play in the second game against College Park, didn't quite look comfortable or himself. Um, Got to wonder how much that bothered him, but he, I think he did finish with about 15 points, but just looked okay. Jarris was dominant in the first game, and I thought he just looked solid in the second game uh, there. And, and I should note, too, that this is an enclosed environment there's no fans so this best resembles and reminds me of the Orlando Summer League which was fantastic because it was built for basketball and it was pure if it was truly pure uh, about the game rather than you go to Las Vegas for Summer League and you you got in-game promotions in-game music it's truly an entertainment platform here at the G League showcase it's all 31 G League teams playing at least two games eight teams compete in the showcase with the winning team going home with a $100,000 prize there because of it. And you want to know how important it is, even more so than last year? It might suggest more mo- some moves are on the way for the Pacers, but the Pacers' entire front office is down there in Orlando. Kevin Pritchard, Chad Buchanan, Kelly Kroskoff, and Ted Wu, along with Ryan Carr and his entire scouting department. Last year, I think just a couple of the executives were there, plus the scouts, obviously. Uh, but the entire Pacers front office seeing this through. So, number one, that's awesome for the Mad Ants, able to have the team execs right there watching and supporting. But also, the underrated part. <laughs> Let's read between the lines. The underrated part here of the showcase is it brings all the executives from the NBA together. So, uh, a trade that might go down in a month or two, maybe started conversations in a cafe there at the Hyatt um, in Orlando, Florida. So that's something to keep an eye on, and I'll certainly ask about if something does happen. But just uh, once again, Matt Ants, Westchester Knicks, Knicks, Friday night, 
for the $100,000 grand prize. That game will air on ESPN2 as well. So national TV performance for those guys as well. That's enough, I think, for this podcast, this solo episode. Hope I didn't ramble on too much for you. Tried to catch you up on all that has gone on and uh, decided against having a guest on this one. I thought there was just way too much to cover, and probably I could have gone more in-depth on a variety of topics including Vegas and the in-season tournament and the result there and some things that are working for the Pacers, some things that are just not. Um, but right now they're 14-13, and 13, returning home. We'll play the Orlando Magic, the Fighting Goga Batazes, on Saturday night at Cambridge Fieldhouse. Hope to see you there. If you see me, please say hello. All my work can be read at fieldhousefiles.com. I encourage you, if you haven't already, subscribe, become a paid subscriber. If you need a last-minute gift, for a family or friend who is a big Pacer fan, uh, you can gift them a subscription. So let me know if you have any questions with that as well. But otherwise, thanks for listening to this episode of the Fieldhouse Files podcast. Safe travels for those of you who are headed home or going elsewhere for Christmas or the holidays, New Year's, whatever you may be. Thanks for putting me in your pocket, putting me in your ears, and listening to the Fieldhouse Files podcast. And I'll talk to you again soon. 